Well, uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, observes how all the world is full of praise. He writes, The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favourite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favourite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, uh, and even sometimes politicians or scholars. The world is full of praise, isn't it? And yet I suspect that parts of the Bible, like Psalm 145, still seem a bit strange, a bit forced, a bit disconnected perhaps from our reality. The world is full of praise and yet I think we find it so difficult to praise God. I think we do following God, but we're not that great at praising God. I worry that the praise of God is something that we might talk about more than we actually do. Well, if that's true, I hope that Psalm 145 can be a remedy for that. Because in Psalm 145, David urges us and models for us a life of praise. The first thing that David models for us in this psalm is his commitment to praising God. Verse 1 and 2, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. At the end of every year, uh, people make commitments. They make their New Year's resolutions about what they're going to do in the coming year. And you might get to the end of the year and you might commit to spending more time with your family or you might want to do more, time, more things in church uh, or you might commit to eating less chocolate or perhaps you might commit to eating more chocolate. I suppose that could be a, a valid New Year's resolution as well. But David commits to doing something else. David commits to praising God. He consciously and purposefully commits himself to praising God. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. In the movie The Incredibles, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Mrs. Incredible says to her son Dash, everybody's special Dash, you know, it's the kind of the, uh, they're driving along the car and she's trying, the mother trying to encourage the son. She says, Dash, everybody's special. To which he says, that's just another way of saying that nobody is. And sometimes I wonder in our rush, uh, in the evangelical world, in our rush to say that all of life is worship, I wonder if we've ended up in a situation where actually none of life is. What I mean is we're not good at worship. We're good at doing things but we're not actually good at worshipping, honouring, praising God. We're okay with God saying, you know, give, give to the poor, but we're not very good at saying, wow, God is amazing. I think uh, that one of the reasons for our fatigue as a society is not simply too little rest, but actually too little worship. I think we confuse recreation for rest. 
But when you think about what God did in creating the world, he worked for six days and then he rested. What did he do on the seventh day? He looked back at all that he created and he marvelled at it. He enjoyed it. And I think we're so busy working out what it is that we have to do next once we finish one thing that we never stop and, and, and look back and say, look at all that God has helped me to do this past week. I know that myself as a preacher, I finish preaching on Sunday morning and I begin thinking about what's to be preached on next Sunday. And never stop to say, well, Lord, thank you so much for last week. What a great week that was. I don't think we need more church services, necessarily, or longer church services, or more songs, or better songs, so those things might help. And it's worth asking the question whether those things will help. But what we really need to do is to learn the art of praising God and celebrating God in every area of our lives. And I think what we do on Sundays together, as Christians, ought to be the training ground for that. That is, we come together on Sunday tired out by a week of work and toil uh, and sometimes disappointment and pain and we hear the gospel again and we sing the gospel again to each other, we pray the gospel again, we cry out to God, we celebrate God and we leave with the same commitment that David has here in the psalm. We leave, we ought to leave on Sunday saying, I will exalt you, my God the King. We ought to leave here today with that resolution, I will exalt you, my God, the King. And not, I will exalt you, my God, the King, on the way home in the car, though that's a great start. But I will live a life of exalting you and, and proclaiming you and, and praising you. David commits to praising God and he spurs others on to praise God as well. Well, what kinds of praise does he have in mind? Or, as another way of saying it is, what in what different ways can we exalt God? How do we do that? There are 13 different words used in this psalm, uh, used 18 different times in total to describe the praise that, God offers God, uh, that David offers God. So he exalts, blesses, praises, sings, praise and so on. But, but what does it mean? How does David praise God? Uh, what does that mean? Well, David praises God by speaking about him. To exalt literally means to lift God up. That is, to talk about God in such a way that God is elevated both in our minds and in the minds of others. So we use the expression to talk someone up. Well, certainly they do if you watch Saturday Night Football or something like that. If you watch the AFL, they're always talking about talking people up. That is, talking about people, talking about someone as though they're more than what they, they really are. So when I used to play football, uh, if you can imagine that, I, uh, when I was studying at Bible College, I used to talk up my footy skills. Uh, they needed a lot of talking up. Let me, let me assure you of that. We like to talk ourselves up. We like to talk up other people. But it's impossible to talk God up to be more than he really is. He's that good and he's that great that you could say the most elevated things about God and it wouldn't be overstatement. C.S. Lewis in his Reflections on the Psalms recounts 
how when he first became a Christian, he found it a bit distasteful that God always wanted people to praise him. Because if anybody else went around kind of saying, you ought to be praising me, we would maybe have some problems with that. But Lewis points out that some things demand praise. Great art demands recognition. We've missed out if we fail to see and celebrate and to savour its beauty. Great music demands recognition. A great sunset needs to be commented on. How much more then does God himself deserve to be remarked upon, to be enjoyed, to be recognised? Verse 4, they will tell of all your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty. We speak it, we announce it, we recount it, we recount the things that God has done in history, not least what he has done in Jesus Christ, In verse 7, I love, they will celebrate your abundant goodness. Literally, celebrate is gush, bubble or pour out. That is, David's praise is literally like water bubbling out, pouring out, overflowing from him. He's so full of the knowledge of the glory of God that it just flows out of him. Lewis writes, Again, how instinctively we invite other people to praise what we enjoy. So we say things like, isn't she lovely? Or wasn't it glorious? Or when you buy buy something new, you buy a new television or something like that, you want to tell people about it. Or if you get a new mix master or something like that, you know, you want everyone to know how how much time you saved. Lewis goes on to say, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not, be able, not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Do you see what he's saying? Praise is not merely a compliment, but it's the completion of enjoyment. When we enjoy God like David enjoyed God, we tell other people about God because to share our enjoyment of God is actually to deepen our enjoyment of God. David uh, praises God uh, but David also praises and wants people to praise God uh, in song. He does it first of all by speaking about him. 
he also does it in song. So verse 7, they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Or verse 2, I will praise you and extol your name forever. To extol is to cry aloud or to sing. It's the word halal, uh, from which halal, from which we get hallelujah. It's tempting to say that we're not a singing culture anymore, I think. Uh, you know, we might sort of say, well, that was good for David. That was in his day when people used to sing, but these days we're not a singing culture. But I don't think that that's actually true. We sing all the time. It's just that the songs that we're singing uh, are not songs about God most of the time. Uh, it's hard to sing songs about God when you've got dire straight blaring in the car. That's probably me driving along uh, listening to uh, dire straits. Um, 15 minutes. What's that song? I can't even think what it is anymore. Oh, it's a beautiful song. It's Love Over Gold. It's a great album. Uh, it's also hard to sing, to sing when you're listening to the classic FM. You might do that. That's actually probably more likely me driving along in the car listening to, to classic FM. You see, we shouldn't think, I don't, I don't believe, that singing praise ends with the four or five songs that we sing on Sunday and then we go home and we say, well, I'm done with singing for the week. If we're going to take David's example of committing to praising God, then that involves committing to praising God all the time. Every day I will praise you, says David. And that everyday praise includes not only speaking praise, but singing praise as well. I think that's a a radical thought. We can even use what can be a hindrance to our advantage. So if you enjoy singing along to stuff in the car, I don't know if you do, Uh, you might enjoy singing along to things at home as well, then why not find good Christian music and put that on in the car or put that on around the house and sing along with it. Belt it out at the traffic lights and don't worry about what the people next to you in the car are thinking. I'm not suggesting, uh, please don't mishear me, I'm not suggesting that we should only listen to Christian music, uh, you know, that certain types of music are the den of iniquity or something like that. Uh, What I'm saying is that it's good to praise God in song and given that we like to sing along with stuff, I think lots of people like to sing along with music and given that's true, why not use that to our advantage and sometimes take the opportunity to sing along with great songs about the gospel? You might have heard of uh, the Christian band, the modern Christian band from Victoria, the Sons of Korah. Uh, they've taken the psalms and they've put them to music. Now, not everybody likes their style of music, that's fine. But what's great about their music is that they've just taken the psalms and, and, and made them songs. And so, as you listen, you can sing along and you're singing the psalms. You're learning the psalms. You're praising God. You'd never sing their songs in church, that's okay. That doesn't matter, but you can sing them at home. And you can take the opportunity to praise God. And there's lots of choice as well. Uh, If you want to sing church songs, there's uh, a group in Sydney called Emu Music and they record church, they write church songs and they record them uh, and you can buy their albums and you can listen to them and sing their songs. Uh, Stuart Townend you might have heard of, he's got some good albums. 
there are albums of hymns as well. I remember when I was growing up, my dad on Sunday morning, if he wasn't playing uh, some piece of classical music, he'd have on the Scottish you know, Psalms or the Welsh Psalms or something like that, the choirs uh, singing uh, in Scotland or Wales. And that's great as well. One of my all-time favourites is an album by Maddie Pryor and the Carnival Band called Sing Lustily and with Good Courage, which is actually a, a word from, that's from John Wesley, who wrote in his Instructions for Public Worship that we ought to sing lustily and with good courage, not lustfully, but lustily, that is, with, with great fervour. Sing lustily and with good courage. And it's a wonderful album. They play hymns, what we know as hymns, but they play them in the original musical style on kind of uh, uh, yeah, lutes and side drums and tabors and uh, recorders and all kinds of things like that. Uh, and it's great fun uh, and great music. Or if you like classical music, you can put on Handel's Messiah and you can sing along to that. And you can sing the words of the Bible and praise God in doing that. If you like German, you can put on Haydn's Geschöpfung or whatever it is, the creation, and you can sing along with that. One of the great uh, dangers of constant music is that it drowns out our songs and it drowns out our praise of God. Another inherent danger of being surrounded by music is that it unknowingly shapes the songs that we sing. And, and that unknowingly shapes us as well. So when we sing, what do we sing about? Well, invariably, the songs that people sing about on the radio uh, or kind of other forms of music, they're invariably love songs, aren't they? Every popular song seems to be uh, about love, which is okay for a while, but it gets a bit boring uh, in the end. What happened to the good old days of protest music? Uh, you know, like Peter, Paul and Mary, uh, and Billy Bragg and people like that. You too. Whatever happened to, you know, people's midnight oil thing about asbestos mining and whatever. But even music which thoughtfully engages with political issues and cultural issues and all that kind of stuff, even thoughtful songs that people write don't have a patch on songs about God. Because God is the God who stands behind love. So in a sense it's the ultimate love song, isn't it? To sing a song about God. Because God is the author of love. The creator of love. The sustainer of love. The fulfiller of love. And God is the ultimate remedy to our protests and our cries for justice. David praises God in words, he praises God in song. Last of all, David praises God in personal contemplation. Verse 5, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. We can praise God on our own as we reflect and celebrate in our own hearts the greatness and the glory of God. Like when you open the curtains and you see the sunrise, you can say to yourself, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Or when you look at your children and you delight in what God has given you, given your family. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a ward from him. Or when you fall into sin but you've confessed it and you've left it at the cross, 
and you bask again in the grace of knowing the full and free forgiveness of God, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgiveness and transgression? I have a friend whose practice it is to uh, go walking and every day to purposely notice certain things. So he'll say to himself, today I'm going to look at the trees. And he'll walk along the road and he'll notice the beauty of the trees. And pray, Lord, thank you so much for making that tree and those leaves uh, and that bark and those birds. And the next day he'll determine to notice the insects or something and go out and he'll meditate on the glory of God's handiwork and praise God on account of it. And you can do it on all kinds of things, can't you? You can go for a walk and you can say to yourself, well, I'm going to think about all the people in my church and I'm going to meditate on all the wonderful things that God is doing in those people's lives. We so easily forget, I think. Forget to notice. And so forget to praise. Psalm 145 shows us the need to commit to praising God. It shows us those three kinds of praise in speaking, in singing, in meditating. But David also reveals to us who hears our praise. Or perhaps also, who should hear our praise? First of all, God hears our praise. David says to God, I'm going to praise you forever and ever. Some of David's words are even addressed straight back to God. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. They're words to God. Only God, of course, can hear the praise of our inner delight when we meditate and reflect on him and when we rejoice in him in our innermost being, only God hears that. Only God is privy to that kind of praise. So who else should hear our praise? Well, David says our children and other people's children. Verse 4, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. A house where God is not praised is a house where God won't be loved. God might be revered and respected and honoured and obeyed, but he won't be loved in a house where God is not praised and honoured. A house where the gospel is not delighted in will be a house where the gospel is easily thrown aside. After all, if the gospel is not precious and seen to be precious, why keep it? It will be a house where people won't be gripped by the astonishing grace and mercy of God. God hears our praise, our children and the children of others hear our praise. Who else hears our praise? David says, everyone. Verse 11, they will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men, all men, all people might know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendour of your kingdom. They will tell of the glory of God's kingdom. Why? So that all people will know. Praise, rightly understood, is evangelistic. 
John Dixon in his uh, book Promoting the Gospel talks about the value of our gathered praise, that is the praise that we do together on Sundays. He, he talks about the value of that in promoting the gospel. So uh, let me quote him at some length, but uh, what, what he says I think is helpful. He writes, There are all sorts of reasons some of our churches have visitors, location, architecture, demographics and so on. But in my experience the most significant factor is the quality of the church service. By quality, I do not mean professionalism of the leader or the standard of technology and music. I mean the degree to which the congregation revels in its experience of praising God and encouraging one another. I'd go so far as to say that over time the number of visitors in our church services is directly proportionate to the level of enthusiasm felt by those who regularly attend. He goes on to tell a story of a couple Henry and Sandra, who became Christians through visiting a church and they were attracted by what they saw. And he writes, the services Henry and Sandra were so taken with were not evangelistic events. They were regular services designed for the praise of God and the strengthening of believers. There were Bible readings, songs, prayers, creeds and preaching. All the things that have always been part of church gatherings. Henry and Sandra were eavesdroppers, as it were, and this, I think, is part of the power of services like these. Visitors to church can easily feel threatened if they suspect that the whole event is pitched at them. But when they feel the freedom simply to observe what Christians do, praying to the Lord, giving thanks to him, listening to his word, visitors are often more at ease, less defensive, and more open to the things they hear. They are more attentive to our praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. We ought to commit ourselves to praising God. We ought to praise God with our words, with our songs, with our reflections and meditations. We ought to praise God so God can hear us. We ought to praise God so our children can hear us and the praise is carried on from generation to generation. And we ought to praise God so that the whole world can hear us and so that the whole world can know the honour and the glory of God and so they can know the great glory of the gospel. But how can we move from being praiseless people to being people of praise? If we are praiseless people, if you are a praiseless person, how can we move from being a praiseless person person to being a person of praise. Well, David, David gives us three reasons, three motivations to praise God. Here are three. Uh, they are, first of all, because God is worthy of it. His greatness no one can fathom, or perhaps a better way of saying it is, his greatness is unsearchable. You can discover more about God every day and still never get to the end of knowing about God. The knowledge of God is like the depth of the ocean or like the extent of the universe. And God's greatness is discovered not only in the Bible but also in creation. I talked about my friend before who likes to go for those walks. But as, science, uh, as scientists too look out into space with telescopes, uh, the 
one of the, the realizations or one of the things that we see is that the universe gets bigger and bigger. That is, we discover more and more of it. As scientists look at cells and atoms and neutrons and Higgs bosons and all kinds of new particles that they seem to discover every uh, week, we see the world getting smaller and smaller as well, don't we? We, we see the world to a smaller and smaller scale. I love to read books uh, on things like mathematics and science. One, because I'm interested in them. But two, because they help me to praise God. Uh, a few years ago I read over the summer a book on the great unsolved problems of mathematics. Well, some of them are solved now actually, but there's still a few that are not. Uh, and they are, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was difficult going at points. But it was a wonderful experience. Because even though it was hard and complicated and obscure and strange, at times I stopped and just broke into praise. Because even though it's beyond me, you uncover something of the thoughts of God, the mind of God, the wonder of God, that he could piece a world together in such intricacy and he could make human beings to be able to understand it and grasp it. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I had to uh, rebuke myself uh, last year, I remember, because I'd always thought to myself, well, chemistry, how boring is that? And then when I was at university, I ended up doing a course, the, re I, the reason I ended up doing engineering was so that I didn't have to study chemistry. But I thought to myself, actually, that's wrong, isn't it? That's actually wrong to think like that because that's something that God has made too. God has made the chemical world. And to study those things and to learn some of those things is just to scratch the surface, you know, whatever we're capable of. It's to, it's to know the mind of God. And actually in eternity, that's what we'll do, won't, won't, won't we? not sit in chemistry classes, maybe we will. But we'll spend an eternity discovering more about the mind of God and the world that God has made. And the, the new remade, recreated world, a perfected world, but still an interesting world, which reveals to us our loving Heavenly Father and great Creator God. The more we see those things, the more we learn about the world, the more we're able to praise God. I don't know what you love learning about. Maybe it's poetry. But please don't think, well, poetry's boring. If you're not a poetry person, please think poetry is a great way to understand the mind of God and see the creativity of God. Why should we praise God? Because God's worthy of it. But David also says because of God's righteousness and goodness. 
or if you like, his justice and goodness. David goes on to praise God's kingdom. God's kingdom is the place where God's, God establishes his justice, where he establishes what is right and good. Justice and righteousness might not sound all that exciting, but consider what the alternative is to justice and goodness. The alternative is injustice, isn't it? And injustice is horrible. It ravages communities. It sucks people's wills to live. God hates injustice, destroys injustice and establishes peace and righteousness on the earth. Why should we praise God? We should praise God because he's worthy of it but also because of God's righteousness and goodness. And finally, we should praise God because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Well, they're some of the best words in the whole Bible, aren't they? How slow is God's anger? Thousands of years slow. It's been going for thousands of years since Adam and Eve fell into sin. Sin has marred our world since that point and God still hasn't grown tired of it. (laughs) How slow is your anger? My anger is not that slow. God is still giving people the opportunity to repent. How rich is God's love? So rich he sent his son to die for those who were his enemies. I don't know that my love is that rich. How gracious and compassionate is God? So gracious that he only asks us to love him and to trust him and to take him at his word. So gracious that he fixes us rather than demanding that we fix ourselves. Well, what about verse 9? The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. God is good not only to his people, God is good to all people, but God is good to all he has made. That is not just people, not just human beings, but animals, creatures, trees, insects. God is good to all he has made. Verse 15, the eyes of all look up to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of everything, every living thing. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. <laughs> we used to have a used to have a dog, you know, and you'd get the you'd get the little piece of dog food and you put it in your hand, and the dog would come and eat out of your hand. You'd open your hand, and it would it would take from from you. And that's what this psalm is saying that, that God is like God reaches down and opens His hand, and we take all that we need. From him. And yet David says that God is especially good. He looks after all the creation, but God is especially good to those who call on him. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, 
to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Why should we praise God? We should praise God because he saves us when we call out to him. <laughs> Listen to a talk yesterday. The man said, there is one prayer that we always know that God will answer. Please forgive me. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from the brokenness of our world. He saves us at great cost to himself. He saves us and he is near to us. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you now. Praise you and exalt you for your kindness and goodness, your faithfulness and love, for the slowness of your anger and the speed of your mercy. We praise you for having made us in your image and having remade us in the image of Christ. We praise you for making our world and all its complexity and all its beauty and we praise you for purposing to remake it and remould it to be perfect once again. Lord, help us to be people of praise. Father, we want to commit now to being people of praise. We want to say, Lord, that we will exalt you and praise you, praise your name forever and ever. Lord, help us to keep that commitment by your Holy Spirit at work in us. Help us to praise you so that you can hear Help us to praise you so our children can hear. Help us to praise you so that the world can hear and know you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.